When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, Brandon Harvey here. Before we get started, I wanted to let you know that we've just launched the Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey email party. It's an email newsletter, and you should absolutely join it today at brandonharvey.com slash podcast. We're getting ready to share some exclusive content available only to podcast subscribers, and I'm so excited about it. New emails will go out every other week. It won't be a huge commitment, but it will be a ton of fun. Visit brandonharvey.com slash podcast right now to be the first to join the party. Hello, hello, Brandon Harvey here with this week's episode of Sounds Good, the podcast where every single Monday I sit down with an inspiring person to talk about happiness overcoming struggles, and living a life of intentionality and wonder. This week, I'm so excited to be talking with Charlie Todd. Charlie is the founder of Improv Everywhere and has been producing and directing the group's work for over 15 years. If you don't know what Improv Everywhere is, I dare you to pause this podcast and just Google it right now. It's on YouTube. It's amazing. I don't even mind. Just go do it. Improv Everywhere as a group carries out pranks, which they call missions, in public places. Perhaps most notably, they created the annual No Pants Subway Ride. (laughs) It's ridiculous, it's amazing, and the ultimate goal with everything that Charlie and Improv Everywhere do is to spread chaos and joy. I'm a huge fan of that, so I was so excited for this conversation. So let's just jump straight into it. All right, everybody, I am on the line with the amazing Charlie Todd. Charlie, welcome to Sounds Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been a huge fan. I told you this over email, but I've been a huge fan of Improv Everywhere for years now. And I was thinking back and I was trying to figure out what my earliest memory of Improv Everywhere was. And I went Mm -hmm. back and kind of rewatched some of the oldest videos you guys came out with way back in... 2005 ish and uh and i think that one of the earliest things that i remember watching was uh the one mission where you sent agents wearing blue shirts blue polo shirts and khaki pants into a best buy just walking around not looking at merchandise and just kind of having this experience uh where it looked like they were working there but they obviously weren't and I just love the rebelliousness of that and the joy with that. You know, you can see people in the store smiling and kind of confused, but also acknowledging that this is hilarious. And that was my first memory. And since then, I've just been trying to watch everything you guys come out with. And I love it. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, that, that's definitely a classic uh, video of ours. I think <laughs> um, that was one of our, our first hits on YouTube. Um, YouTube. We joined YouTube in April of 2006, and I think wow. we did that, pro- that project, I think, happened or right around the same time. I think it was April 2006 as well. Um, 
So it, it, yeah, it was definitely a, an early, uh, early video for us. And we had actually been creating projects for about five years prior to YouTube. Five years prior. Yeah, so we started in 2001. And I mean, I literally, the, uh, I went out and played a prank in a bar with a few friends. And then I typed up the story uh, on a GeoCities page that I created. So it was like <laughs> really early internet. Um, before blogs existed, everybody just had their own home pages with a guest book that you could sign the guest book. Very primitive stuff. But when YouTube came about in 2006, it was this amazing opportunity for us because we had, we had been filming not all of our projects, but most of our projects we, we had filmed. So I had this shoebox full of mini DV tapes and I had no way of really sharing the projects with anyone other than the people that were, would come over and I would you know, plug in my camcorder to my television and make them watch my video in the living room. Um, so we had a nice advantage when YouTube started that we had a few years of, uh, of content that was ready to be shared. I think that's really, really cool. And it's really interesting too, because I think the improv everywhere projects are amazing because sure they work online, you know, they're incredible online. That's how most people experience them, but they are just amazing in person. You know, that's, you're creating a real life experience. And I think I think that the big thing that people love about watching the videos online is seeing people's reactions in the moment. And you kind of think, what would it be like if I was there? Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, there's, there's definitely two distinct audiences for what we do, or really kind of three audiences. Um, one audience is the participants, the people that are coming out. And, you know, from mm. the beginning, I guess when Improv Everywhere first started um, in the very early 2000s, most of the people who were a part of it were performers. They were comedians like me, people that I had either done theater with in college or who I was taking improv classes with at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater in New York City. Uh, so everybody was kind of a performer. But after, after we had been doing it for a few years and gained a little bit of notoriety, um, more and more people started joining our email list who were just random, regular folks who might be students, they might be a lawyer, they might be a barista, who knows? Mm. Just, you know, regular New Yorkers who wanted to be a part of this, this type of participatory event. Um, so, for example, in, in the Best Buy project, I didn't know most of the people who, who put on <laughs> blue polo shirts that day. There are about 100 of them. Um, and a lot of them were just, you know, regular people who, who responded to an email saying, Hey, come be a part of the next Improv Everywhere project. Wear a blue polo shirt and khaki pants and meet in this park at this time, and we'll tell you what we're doing. Uh, so, you know, they're coming out not even, not even understanding what the project's going to be. Yeah. They're just, you know, taking that sort of leap of faith, knowing that in the past we have a track record of doing fun, harmless, feel-good things, so I want to be a part of that. So there's that audience, and I'm trying to make sure they have a fun time and have a unique experience. Then there's the audience of the people who witness the surprise so the, empl <laughs> the employees of best buy and the other customers in best buy you know anybody that day who happens to wander into the store and see that they have a hundred extra employees <laughs> um, and the goal there being to make people laugh and smile to you know bring comedy out into public spaces and to unexpected places um and uh you know cause a disruption but a disruption that's a positive one and, and that's a harmless one um in that particular story, not everybody at Best Buy 
agreed with that, <laughs> that sentiment. Uh, at least the uh, the managers <laughs> and the security people didn't. <laughs> so yeah, they actually dialed nine one one on us, um, which I thought was ama- amazing. I didn't think I I thought that we would be asked to leave eventually. Yeah, because you know I, I mean it was. You could make an argument that it was disruptive towards their business to have 100 people wearing blue shirts. I mean, I I told everybody, don't claim to work there at any point. Yeah. Uh, and if someone approaches you and asks you a question and you happen to know the answer to it, then, you know, why not help them out? Because you're, <laughs> nice, you're, you're, you're a nice person. <laughs> Just don't say you work there. Um, but I think they thought it was potentially a heist, like some sort of elaborate thing. Uh... where like, let's create a big distraction and then we're going to, you know, steal merchandise while they're dealing yeah. with the distraction and in all but, fairness that would be really brilliant i like that idea a lot yeah and it's basically the plot of the movie thomas crown affair um <laughs> but the people that we had there that day like there were there was like an eight-year-old girl there was a 60-year-old yeah. man like it was just a very it would be an unbelievably amazing heist if you got together a diverse group of people of ages oh, yeah. ranging from eight to sixty-five. Oceans one hundred. Yeah, to to steal um, DVDs from Best Buy. <laughs> um, uh. So you know, but the, the intended audience is the the regular employees there and the customers there who were looking around in shock, trying to figure out what was going on, laughing about it and taking pictures. And then, as I mentioned, the 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 third audience is our audience on the internet on, on our YouTube subscribers. Middle school, and, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> middle school kids, um, you know, p- people of all ages and people all around the world. Um, so when we come up with these ideas and when we're figuring out how we're going to film these projects and document them, I have to keep all three of those audiences in mind. I, I want it to be a great experience for the participants. I want it to be a, a positive, great story for the people that witness it. And we also need to figure out how to capture it in a way that um, doesn't spoil the surprise for anyone. Like we can't mm. just have giant video cameras running around filming in the Best Buy. Um, totally. one, one, because they would get thrown out immediately in that situation. But um, more importantly, we have to um, create the, you know, keep the element of surprise. Um, and, you know, hopefully if we document them well, we can... The experience translates and, and um, you know, our YouTube audience responds to it as well. I love it. I love it. I want to bring it back a little bit and, and talk about how we got to the point of you creating improv everywhere. And I think that a lot of times we can kind of look back on our lives and see the ways that our childhood connects with the weird features we've created for ourselves. And though I imagine you probably didn't know it at the time. Do you have any sort of like childhood or growing up moments that in hindsight feels kind of like they were a sign for you creating this unique comedy experience down the road? Um, yeah, I mean, I my family is very funny. My, my family like to joke around with each other. Um, you know, an April Fool's Day every year, my dad would always try to fool my sister and I first thing <laughs> in the morning. I mean, my dad is a very kind of practical joke kind of guy who who likes doing, you know, fun pranks that mess with people. So I, I definitely was raised in that environment, um, had a group of friends in high school that, you know, weren't exactly the cool kids. Um, but That's the best. A, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but we had our sort of own little gang and um, 
you know, I think we're generally respected by our peers as being, you know, the weird ones, but the guys, but but the funny weird ones. That's um, awesome. And you know, would would do weird nonsensical things around uh, our campus. Um, and then in college, I got into theater and I got into improv comedy. And mm. you know, I, I also was raised on Saturday Night Live. I, I you know, in the late '80s, I was um, using like the time tape function on my VCR to record the show at 11:30 at night even though I had to go to go to bed before it um when I was in middle school. So I definitely had a comedy background and and then I moved up to New York City and was pursuing acting and was pursuing comedy. I knew I was going to take improv classes at uh the UCB theater. Um the Upright Citizens Brigade has turned out tons of amazing comedians. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to be involved with the UCB pretty close to its infancy. Um, cool. I think that the theater started around 1999 uh, in New York, um, although I think they had classes even a few years before that. But I, I showed up to New York in 2001 and started taking classes. And if you look at any comedy that's on television and most good comedy movies, um, UCB alumni are either writing them or acting in them or direct directing them. It's um, amazing. So so many people that I you know I just took like a level one or a level two improv class with are now um, you know people like Zach Woods and Ellie Kemper and Aubrey Plaza and Nick Kroll. Um, just sort of I love the, that the, the alternative comedy elite. Yeah, and it's but I mean they all although they are not. They're kind of in the, yeah, I mean, alternative comedy is probably the correct word for it, but you went like alternative, alternative comedy, and you're doing something that's not even like where most comedians end up going. What was, what was the, the path for you? Did you think that you wanted to go that kind of more traditional comedy route, or, or were you kind of a do-it-yourself for the whole time? Well, I, I definitely was a. I, I think everybody who was involved with the UCB, um, at least in in that era, um, was very much a do-it-yourselfer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the, the traditional route into acting would be, you know, auditioning for other people's projects, sort of waiting by the phone, you know, desperately trying to get an agent, and then desperately trying to get cast in something. And one thing that I think UCB really taught everybody was to create your own project. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost everybody who was successful at UCB was successful because they wrote their own one-man show. They wrote their own sketch show. They started their own web series. Um, I mean, you look at a show like Broad City on, Com- on Comedy Central. Totally. Um, Abby and, and Alana from that show, they took classes at UCB. In fact, I taught both of them. I used to teach at UCB. Um, and they uh, they created this web series on their own. They actually had a little bit of a tough time breaking into getting onto a house team at UCB, and they got a little frustrated with that and said, "You know what? What are we waiting for? Let's go make our own thing." They made their a web series, which got you know eventually turned into a super successful Comedy Central show. So absolutely. While while my specific career is very do it yourself and very outside the um, normal channels of, of success. Um, I think that, you know, anybody in, in the creative arts needs to have that create your own thing mentality. That's cool. 
That's really, really cool. And you alluded to this before, um, but what were the early days of improv everywhere like? What, what was it like before YouTube was going on, before you guys were as big as you are now? Well, I was 22 years old when I started it. I was fresh out of college, um, you know, trying to find my way in New York City, where I probably, you know, knew about 10 people when I moved here, <laughs> other, other people that had gone to the same school as me and moved up here before me. Um, and just figuring out how to be an adult and how to have a, you know, how to pay rent and things like that um, in an expensive city. But I was frustrated with the lack of, uh, of a creative outlet, having just come off of four years in college where you're constantly working on a play or mm. directing something or acting in something or making a video with people. Um, so since I had no, no like clear opportunity to perform and express myself in front of me, I decided like, Hey, maybe tonight at this bar, we should try to do this weird thing. Or even just like day to day, like riding the subway with comedian friends of mine, you know, I would say things like, all right, you get on this car, I'm going to get on that car. And then at the next stop, I'm going to get onto your car and we'll have some sort of bizarre interaction. <laughs> and, I mean, I, and there's so many times that I did that, that, you know, was never filmed and never, you know, I, I've even probably forgotten half of the stories. You know, um, it's funny. I, I did that with my roommate in college. We would do that in Portland, Oregon. We'd get on the max, which, or the, we'd get on the streetcar, and, uh, and he'd get on one end of the car. I'd get on at the other. And then we would make up names for each other and we would like, I'd be like, Kyle? And he'd be like, <laughs> Don! And we would like slowly make our way across the whole car. So, and the whole time yelling so that we're getting everybody's attention. And then in the middle, we'll, we'll just have this loud conversation. And yeah. that, that, that's one of like my fondest memories from college. And, uh, and it, it's cool. I like that, that that's something you've done as well. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think now, you know, I'm in my mid thirties now. Um, it's not something that occurs to me when I take the train with a friend now. Um, it almost makes but... it better though, because you're, <laughs> you're like a 30 year old man and I, you know, I'm a kid and, and it's like, oh, well that's what, that's what kids do. But a 30 year old man is more surprising. <laughs> yeah. Well, absolutely. I think as I've gotten older and as the, you know, well, we've done a lot of projects um, yeah. specifically with people who are, you know, much older than me. And uh, yeah, that's definitely, it's even more of a surprise because people would never, it would never occur to somebody that a group of 60 year olds um, are doing a prank for YouTube. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's more believable. But yeah, I just had that, that sort of spirit of, hey, let's, you know, it, part of it was boredom and just the the need to scratch the creative itch and you know, just that spontaneous, like, hey, you go into this bar first, I'll come in 20 minutes later, and then um, you'll ask for an autograph and act like I'm, you know, a famous musician, and then we'll see, <laughs> then we'll see what happens from there. And that's, that's why the word improv is in the name of the group, because yeah. it's not very descriptive now, because once we, after, you know, a year or so went by, I started doing things that were a lot more elaborate a lot more uh, choreographed and planned out. Um, so the word improv confuses some people in the name of the group. But in those early days, it was literally just like, oh, here's an idea. You go into this restaurant and then I'll sit at a different table and then we'll recognize each other uh, <laughs> and we'll see, what ha we'll see what happens. But the, the challenge that I found early on is it's really hard to come up with ideas that get people's attention in a public space that are positive in nature. Um, so I think like 
plenty of people at that age have done similar things where it's like, oh, yeah, let's pretend like we don't know each other in a public place and then get into a fight. We'll have a fake fight. Mm. Or, um, you know, I'm going to pretend to faint, you know, things that are like not really a positive experience. Nobody wants to watch a, a fight. Um, it's totally. upsetting. It's upsetting to see somebody, you know, faint or ill in a public space. So that's really how Improv Everywhere was born, was me combining this urge to do these spontaneous uh, performances with how can we do them in a way that, that makes people laugh um, rather than, you know, scares people or upsets people or embarrasses people. That's brilliant. And, and yeah, if you were to sum up what your kind of mission statement was at the time, is that kind of it? And has that evolved over time? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the mission statement has always been that Improv Everywhere seeks to cause scenes. Um, often I refer to them as scenes of chaos and joy. Um, <laughs> chaotic because somebody might call 911 if they don't really understand what's going on. Yeah. Um, we're we're going to break some social norms and maybe break a park department policy or um, create some sort of disturbance that confuses people. Um, but the joy part being equally or more important that ultimately once people, you know, stop and take a look at what's happening, the reaction should be laughter. Um, That's good. I, I like that a lot. Joy is definitely something that is inherently built into this podcast. Like that's the goal to focus on people who are bringing joy into the world in unique and creative ways and, and not choosing to put in, you know, like you were talking about earlier, um, cynicism or negativity or, or something that just people don't need to see. But I didn't right. even at all consider incorporating chaos into, uh, <laughs> into what this is. But it's, it's really true. It's, and I like what you said about the joy being more important or equal to or more important than the chaos. And I think that's what makes it worth it and makes it amazing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, again, it's just, it, it's not exciting to me um, to make, make a random stranger look like an idiot. Um, yeah. I think that's, you know, it's pretty easy to do a prank like that. Um, it's exciting to me to figure out how to make a random stranger look like a hero or, or become the, you know, the star of a video. I, that, I love that. I love that. And I would imagine, just like anything else that is, gets put out on the internet or anything else that's meaningful or powerful, that you guys get some criticism. Um, mm-hmm. what, what does that criticism look like? Oh, I, I've read so many YouTube comments over 10 oh, years. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we, we generally have had great feedback online and um, obviously have amassed the tons of subscribers on YouTube, but yeah, sure. There's always haters. Um, trying to think, well, I guess, uh, I guess one really common criticism is, uh, you people have too much time in your hands. Oh no. Um, which is just sort of a classic, like, you know, dig at someone who's doing something creative that you didn't do. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and you know, it, it may be true that I have too much time on my hands, or at least I did before I had a child. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, the vast majority of the people that come out and participate in these events, um, you know, they're choosing to spend two hours on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, you know, doing something weird, doing something a little bit different. Um, and, you know, who's to say what they're doing with the rest of their week, probably working really hard at a job and living their busy lives like we all do. Um, so, yeah, I get I get that one a lot. Um, 
I mean, there are some people who just don't approve of undercover performances in public spaces. Mm. Um, There are some people that have the criticism of, you know, I just want to, I just want to ride the subway home. I, you know, you, it's not your right to bring a performance onto the subway to interrupt that. Hmm. Um, Which, you know, I, I, I can't say that's not a valid criticism, um, but I think the fact that on any given subway car of 40 people, if there is one person who's slightly annoyed, um, you yeah. know, for, first of all, they can just put their headphones in and look at their phone and, and not, not pay attention to us. Totally. Um, and the other side of it is hopefully there's a large majority of the train who is laughing and smiling and having, yeah. having their, their day brightened by this type of event. And, and to that end, it's very important to me that the projects that we do are opt-in. Um, mm. You know, there's always, if, even projects where we kind of go up to a specific individual, um, if that individual doesn't want to play along, it's, you know, he has an out and he's able to do that. Um, and yeah. it's, I think it's something that we've learned over the years, too. I mean, there probably were some projects in the first five years of our existence where we learned by trial and error, like, oh, okay, we have to be careful if we're going to single one person out and stage an event because it might not always be the right fit or the right person. Um, but definitely in over the last 10 years of our projects, we, we take a lot of care to make sure that if, if somebody doesn't want to be a part of what's going on, then they can just ignore it and we're not going to invade their personal space or bother them. Um, yeah. You know, but fortunately, the types of things we do are these super positive, super funny experiences that you know most people do want to opt into. Yeah, and they're in a lot of ways communal experiences where you know you'd normally be riding the subway alone, not not acknowledging anybody else on the car, and then something like this happens, and you kind of have to look at the people around you and be like, "We're all experiencing this bizarre thing together," and that's is seldom something that's really solo. Um, right. It's something that can bring people together and be a communal experience. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's a big part of our philosophy as well. Is, you know, and part of this maybe comes from me being, being from a smaller community growing up. I, I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. I uh, went to school at UNC Chapel Hill in North Carolina. Mm. Um, and, you know, both places were smaller communities where, and the culture in the South is a little different where you're more likely to make eye contact with somebody that you pass on the sidewalk or, um, you know, in the, even in a grocery store or whatever. There's just, a, it's a little friendlier. Um, although I think New Yorkers are very friendly um, and are, are actually, but that, New Yorkers are very friendly, but they just, everybody kind of does their own thing in public space. So I'm the same way now, having lived in New York City for 15 years. You know, I leave my apartment, I put my headphones on, I'm listening to a podcast, I'm not making eye contact with other people. I'm just, you know, we're, we're a city of, you know, eight plus million people, and we're all just trying to get from point A to point B and, and, <laughs> and live our lives. But that said, creating moments that cause, you know, connections between random people is, is really exciting to me. And I think, you know, let's take the subway, for example, as you mentioned, the only time that you would ever make eye contact with somebody on the subway or have any sort of moment with someone else, with a stranger on on the subway, would be if something bad is happening. Mm -hmm. So if the subway, like, stops and it's stuck between stations, 
and that hap and that's like more than one minute of being stuck, people might start to like make eye contact, roll their eyes, like give each other knowing looks of like, oh, this sucks. Which is um, almost inherently valuable because it it's something that brings people together. Yeah. But it's yeah. an unfortunate way to do it. Or if somebody or if a crazy person gets on who's like ranting and raving, you know, <laughs> about some sort of racist ideology, um, you would also like that would be a time where people would communicate with each other on the subway. Yeah. Um, so what we seek to do is to is to see if we can create moments that bring people together in the subway. But because something so amazing and so hilarious is happening, that it's that it's a positive interaction. Mm. Um, you know, because you would never turn to someone next to you on the subway and go like, wow, uh, the trains are going really fast today. It has, there've been no delays at all. This is great. You know, like generally <laughs> if, if, if something good is happening, you just, it's not acknowledged. Only the bad things are acknowledged. So we did a project last year, um, that, that just, you know, fits this really well, um, where I got onto a train dressed in a suit with another guy. We claimed to be from the MTA, the organization that runs the subway. And said that this particular train car had been awarded the most courteous car on the entire system. Uh, <laughs> like we we tried to make it believable. Like the E train departing Canal Street at twelve o two p.m. Um, is the most courteous car. Congratulations, you guys! As promised, we'll be receiving a pizza party at Twenty Third Street. And everybody kind of li- <laughs> kind of listened to us and was like, "Okay, yeah, whatever. These guys are being funny. That's that's nice. Whatever." And then when the train got to to 23rd Street, the doors opened and there were six pizza guys with stacks of pizza who got on the train. So good. And we set up a table and we gave everybody on the train pizza. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it was like we delivered pizzas to a subway car. Yeah. And it was such a nice moment because people, everybody said yes. Like, it's kind of hard to turn down free pizza. Um, And it was this fun, just social environment where... Strangers were having pizza together um, and and talking to each other and talking to us. And, you know, it's a silly idea to have a pizza party on a subway car, but there is something more to it when you when you think about the you know community it creates. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love that it's just something silly. And I think it has if we were to get really deep and philosophical on this, which, you know, maybe we should. Um, I think it's important for the world. Like it's important that we have things like this in the world. Um, because otherwise I think we take ourselves a little bit too seriously. Um, but let's go down the route. I want to ask why is creating these positive experiences important for the world in your opinion? Well, you know, I mean, we, we don't have a big lofty philosophy that, that we're, you know, literally saving the world or anything like that. But I, I do think it's, you know, it's good for, well, I'll say this. I, I think it's important that citizens use public space in creative ways. Um, I think it's just a, a positive for a city to have people expressing themselves creatively in public spaces um, and and for giving the you know communities the chance to come together and have a shared experience um, that's positive in nature. I think it, it does have a, a positive impact. Um, and I think also the the way that we document the videos and share the videos, uh, you know, I mean, a, a internet, uh, you know, a YouTube comment that we get frequently is like, "Oh, my faith in humanity has been restored," um, <laughs> which is something that I think people 
comment that on a, a lot of on a variety of different types of videos. Um, but I do think they're they're even though our main intent is to be funny and to make comedy videos, um, people do respond well um, when when they see when when they see the content on YouTube. I think a lot of people are uplifted by it. Maybe mm. in a way that when I started this project, I wasn't ever anticipating. I mean, I have people who tell me, even friends of mine who tell me, like, man, every time I see a new video of yours, you know, more often than not, I end up, like, getting a little teary-eyed. Um, mm. And we get a and I'll see that comment on YouTube, too, like, I don't know why, but this made me cry. It's always well, like, a, like, I don't understand why, but I'm crying. That's actually um, something I was going to say, because that's an experience I had today, you know, and it's been a crazy political week. And I yeah. just went and I was watching a few more Improv Everywhere videos I'd missed. And I kind of got a little bit weepy-eyed. And I was like, why am I feeling this way? And there's just, I think it's just something beautiful. Well, yeah. And I, I, you know, I was sort of taken aback by that response the first few times I heard it. Where I was like, oh, okay, well, you're supposed to laugh. <laughs> but it's, it's, <laughs> don't, don't you think it's funny that we did this? And people are like, yeah, it is funny. But, you know, seeing, I mean, a, a video that we put out recently that, um, I got this comment on a lot was we did a thing called Dance Captain Wanted. Where I loved we, it. Oh, cool. Um, we put a, a platform in Bryant Park, big park here in the middle of Midtown Manhattan. Um, and uh, on the platform, there was a sign that said Dance Captain Wanted. Um, then we had 100 people dressed in uh, white T-shirts and black pants walk out, stand in this 10 by 10 grid and just wait. And as soon as a random New Yorker or tourist or whoever had the courage to step up on the platform and become the dance captain, um, everyone, all of the dancers mimicked what that person was doing 100%. Mm. So we had, we had some big speakers and music kicks in. Um, and you can see in the video, a random woman went first and she just walks up there and, you know, takes, takes the bait, responds to the, says <laughs> yes to the instructions and starts dancing. And all of a sudden she's leading a hundred people who are copying her every move. But the video and the way, the way, I mean, it was very inspiring in person. Um, but I, I think the video did a nice job of just capturing it in that quick two and a half minute. I junk, agree. Um, where you, where you really see the diversity and, you know, it's, it really was people of all ages who came up and said yes to this, uh, people of all different backgrounds. And that, that's another thing that I'm proud of is that I think, yeah, our projects really showcase the diversity of the city of New York, both in the people that we surprise and also in the people that participate in our events. Um, and that was not always the case. I mean, I, I moved up here as a straight, white, 22-year-old male who was mostly friends with other straight, white, early 20s males. Um, so, you know, our, our projects in the early days were not particularly diverse, but um, as my network has grown and as Improv Everywhere has grown, I think the, our participant base really reflects the demographics of, of New York. Um, and there's, we, did a, we do a thing every year called the MP3 experiment where people are listening to synchronized instructions via their headphones. Mm. So you, you have a mob of people. Um, the most recent one we did was on Governor's Island in New York. And yeah. You have a couple of thousand people who are walking through a big park, and there's plenty of other people milling about the park as well. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, 2,000 people drop to the ground at the exact same second or, <laughs> you know, start dancing at the exact same second. So it's sort of all these like sneak attack, surprise, 
performances that are coordinated by via headphones so no one else in the space can hear that. Um, but the, the participant base for this year's MP3 experiment was just incredibly diverse. I mean, every type of demographic in New York City was represented. And I think it's really rare. I, I, yeah. it, it's, it's rare to be in a crowd of 2,000 people that is that diverse, that is all, you know, they're working towards the same thing. I mean, I, I guess I guess sporting events are like that, but I think you could probably argue that a lot of sporting events, particularly ones that have a, you know, a, a steep ticket price, are probably not that diverse. So mm-hmm. just being in a big crowd uh, of diversity like that is somewhat new, unique experience, and I'm proud yeah. that we're able to produce those. And I think it's really important. And I think it's also, I, I was noticing that with, it was maybe the dance video or maybe, uh, you know, one of your other recent videos. And it's, you mentioned earlier, you mentioned the word courage. And I think it's really cool to see all of these people who are, because I feel like I'm a pretty courageous person. I go out the door and I'm like, I, am feel, I feel confident <laughs> in right. who I am. And that's, you know, that, that's all kinds of things that, like, that stream into why that's true for me. But I just assume, oh, cool, like other people like me are confident and people who aren't might not be. But it's a really, really cool experience seeing that diversity play out and seeing people, you know, behave in all of these particular ways with so much. Yeah, it, I don't know. It, it brings people together. And I think it's really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is next for Improv Everywhere? Like what, what are you really excited about on the horizon? Is there anything big? But then also, I want to add to that, um, what's next for you? You know, do you think you'll be the improv everywhere guy forever? Um, I know that you're continuing to do, or it seems to me that you're still doing Upright Citizens Brigade stuff. You know, where, where do you see your own trajectory and where do you see um, improv everywhere? You know, it's tough to know. I, I mean, I've, I've been having this question asked of me for, you know, probably eight years and I mm. never really, I never really know the answer to it. I and mean, I guess <laughs> the answer mostly is like, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing this thing. Um, I, I, I hope to just keep getting better and better at, at what I do. Um, and, you know, pursuing opportunities as, as they come up, I'm excited for technological advances. Our MP3 experiment a couple of weeks ago was powered by a new iPhone app that we have that, uh, synchronizes everybody's audio, um, you know, down, to the, milli- so down cool. to the millisecond. Yeah. And, you know, th- this project is a project we've done for like 13 years. But when we first started doing it, people were downloading MP3s and burning them onto a CD and participating <laughs> with the disc man. Um, so, you know, as technology improves and changes, it opens up new possibilities for uh, producing these events. Uh, so, you know, I'm just excited to see what's next and to see, Good. I mean, I, I don't particularly envision doing improv everywhere projects in virtual reality, um, <laughs> because <laughs> that seems to be the next thing everybody's talking about, but, yep. um, you know, I, to, to us, we like to use technology and, and use advances in tech, uh, to get people into the real world and participating together and having, having a human connection. So I love that. Man, well, so every single episode, I love to ask three questions to all of our guests. And I'll just jump into the first one, which is, how would you describe the kind of person that you most admire in the world? Huh. Um, 
I admire people who dedicate their lives to, to others. Um, I, you know, people who are, are public servants. Um, I even, I even admire a lot of politicians. I mean, I admire Barack Obama, um, for, for dedicating, you know, his life to public service. Um, and I think, you know, anyone who, who gets up every day and tries to make the world better and tries to, to do things for other people, um, is someone that I admire. Um, Absolutely. What, what, and, I'm, and I'm not saying that I do that in any way. I mean, I, I guess our projects make people laugh um, and might... I might, would say that it does. Well, we might, we might brighten people's day from time to time, but I'm saying that, you know, those that I admire are the ones that, you know, are, are really doing the real work around the world. That's really cool. I love that. And I like to think that it's evident that your admiration for people who dedicate their lives to others has trickled down into what you do in a really fun and unique way. And you're not doing it in the exact same way as, you know, President Obama does. But I think that that doesn't make it any less admirable. So I love that. Question number two, what are you consuming right now that you love? So maybe pick one thing on like TV or a movie or a book or something that you recommend, especially if it relates at all to um, some of the conversation we've had so far. I just watched, the uh, HBO series Vice Principals. Um, oh, so to, to recommend a comedy, uh, yeah, <laughs> I recommend that. Um, it's just really, really, really funny. Um, Great. It is profane and uh, probably not for everyone. Um, but if you have seen any of Danny McBride and Jody Hill's other projects, like Eastbound <laughs> and Down, or Observe and Report. Um, it's just really, really, really funny. I mean, they it's they go to it's they go to some pretty extreme levels, um, but it that that's made me laugh more than anything this year. I think that that is awesome. I love that. I love that. My final question for you is based on the ways you've chosen to step out and live your life differently. What's one thing you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life today? So maybe some sort of action step or or something like that. Yeah, my my biggest advice to people, especially younger people um, who are creative types who are just starting out, is to create your own opportunity and refuse to to wait. Um, I think the mistake that most people make is feeling like I think the mistake that most people make is waiting around for some sort of big break to happen. Mm. Um, you know, thinking like, oh, if only. Um, if only somebody would read my screenplay. I mean, that's even somebody that's taken the action step of writing a screenplay, but then they sit around and wait for somebody to read it. Um, you know, go make it. You know, make it, make it with your iPhone. Uh, make it with your iPhone and iMovie. You know, mm. make, the, make the low-res version of it, whatever you can afford. With, you know, get, get your friends together and have everybody volunteer their time and go out and make something together. Um, rather than thinking, well, I can't do this thing until it's until I've sold it somewhere or until somebody else has given me approval. Um, and I and I think the 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 younger generation who has been raised on YouTube already gets that. Um, but I, I just think it's so important. Don't you know, don't feel like you need anybody else's permission to go create what you want to create. And also don't feel like you have to be great to to create what you want to create. Like just go out and and do and make something, make anything. Um, I think, uh, you know, I can look back at the very early Improv Everywhere projects when I was 22 and 23, and 
there were some there's some things in there that I'm really proud of, and there's some things in there that's like, oh, yeah, that one didn't really work so well. It's okay. Um, but I learned from it, and then the next thing that I did was a little bit better and a little bit smarter because I realized something about how these things work. So, you know, just go make your album, paint your painting, write your television script um, without being self-conscious about it being bad. Because if it's bad, you'll learn. You'll do, you'll do the next one. It'll be better. Man, don't feel like you need someone else's permission and don't feel like you have to be great. I think that's huge. That's fantastic advice. I love this. And I've loved this conversation. Charlie, if people want to follow along with your life and also, of course, see what Improv Everywhere has done, watch some of your videos, where can they do all of that? Well, we're on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Improv Everywhere, uh, Improv Everywhere.com. Um, I know a lot of people don't like go to dot coms in our mobile era, but, uh, <laughs> but go to our dot com on a, on a browser, on your laptop and your desktop, and you can see that we have 15 years of archived events uh, up there. Um, so just, you know, if you're, if you're at a day job and you're, you've got internet access and you're bored at work, just go to our website, <laughs> click on the missions tab, and there's literally like 200 stories you can read and videos you can watch. Um, and then I, I guess the main thing is to sign up for our email list because that is becoming the only reliable way for a creator to communicate with people that want to follow their stuff. Um, you, can't, you can't trust the Facebook algorithm or the YouTube subscription box algorithm anymore. You, you need to have a direct connection. So join our email list and we, we tour around the world. Um, we just did an event in Miami Beach last night. We're doing one in Singapore next week. Uh, so we, we bring these projects to other cities. So, you know, if you want to be notified, if we're in your city, sign up. And uh, if you happen to run a festival or you're on a student activities board at a school and you want to bring us to your area, uh, reach out and get in touch because we love doing that. That is so amazing. That's so good, man. Once again, Charlie, seriously, thank you so much for being on the show. And I, I love your work. I love what you're doing. I love the good that you're putting out in the world. And for that, I thank you. Well, thanks, Brandon. This has been a fun conversation. Appreciate you having me on. Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and is created in collaboration between me, Brandon Harvey, and Gradient. Thank you so much to each of you who tuned into the podcast this week. If this is your first time listening, subscribe to the show to get a new, inspiring story downloaded straight to your phone in your sleep every single Monday. If you want to help Sounds Good out, it really helps if you leave a review on iTunes. All you have to do is search for Sounds Good in your podcast app, tap Reviews, then tap Write a Review. Super simple. You can connect with me online and get updates about the show on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat at at Brandon Harvey. That's Brandon with an E-N. And this week and every week, you can find the show notes for this week's episode of Sounds Good at brandonharvey.com slash podcast. That's also where you can sign up for the Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey email party, which again is going to be so much fun. And with that, that's a wrap for this week's podcast. I'll see you online and I'll talk to you next week when we get the opportunity to learn from another inspiring person. Sound good? <laughs>